and uh, we're talking about uh, uh, fintech and uh, finding a, a, a niche. And I thought we'd uh, the first question we'd ask would be, how did you guys find your niche? So uh, you know, what's the story? How did you figure out where to be? Um, I know. Uh, let's start with Kevin. And I know Kevin, you had you have an interesting story in that you had to figure that out. And so t t talk about finding your niche. Sure. So um, Appetize, is a, it's a point of sale platform for enterprise businesses. Um, we originally started in the sports and entertainment industry. Our um, kind of light bulb moment, the three of us, 22-year-old uh, co-founders, were at a Laker game, and we're just shocked to see a, you know, a broken, inefficient, expensive way of getting products um, in our seats. And so you know, we thought right then and there, you know, why don't we create, originally we created an app that allowed for more uh, simplified uh, uh, transactions or ordering in your seat for pickup or delivery. And you know, four months later, we created an app, and you know, we're live at our very first arena. Um, you know, I would say it was, it was difficult for us to stay you know, focused in the early going on just one industry. We were taking you know, sort of meetings with folks in a lot of different industries. Um, so I would say early on it was difficult for us to stay focused, but the minute that we really said, you know, sports entertainment is our industry was really the minute that we started to see, um, you know, product market fit and the right amount of iteration happening uh, across our platform and clients starting to sort of group up in different channels, starting to open up from a, a distribution standpoint. So early on, it was that, that sort of light bulb moment and then staying really focused on a specific industry, which for us, again, was uh, sports and entertainment early now, on. Now, that's very interesting. Now, John, you're, you're also actually very, very niche as well. Uh, talk, talk about uh, your spot and how did you figure out exactly where you needed to be? Right, so uh, Scratch Financial provides payment plans and point of sale financing for veterinary care. So you go to the vet, your dog needs a $4,000 uh, ACL uh, surgery, and we'll provide you with a 24-month payment plan. Um, the idea uh, came in large part from my past fintech experiences. So, uh, as Peter mentioned, I was the CFO of Green Dot. After that, I was the CFO of a company in Sweden called Klarna that does point of sale financing for e-commerce. And uh, they did a great job of making smart underwriting decisions off of a few data points. So I came back to the state and I said, there must be 100 verticals that need better financing solutions, but I'm going to start with the, what I think is the lowest hanging fruit. And after kind of digging around and talking to a lot of people, we ended up focusing on, on pets, and I think it's, it's been a great home for us. So, so you mentioned you know, narrowing down the, uh, the sector you'd try first. I mean, how did, what was it about pets that said, hey, this is the place to start? So there were a, lot of, there were a few things that, that made it attractive to us. I mean, one is that uh, because in the States, unlike in Northern Europe, credit card penetration is very high, uh, we thought we needed a high average ticket size so that the, the transaction would be large enough that some people wouldn't either be able to put it on their credit card or wouldn't be comfortable putting it on their credit card and paying it off in a month or two. So we wanted a high average ticket size. This is healthcare, it's healthcare for animals, so we were also looking, the fact that there's low insurance penetration was important. The fact that millennials were the fastest growing group of pet owners was important. Uh, because they have low credit card penetration and generally low savings, and they actually have a low affinity for credit cards in general and prefer to borrow through other sorts of financial products. Um, and uh, and there's just very high growth, too. 
Just kidding. Oh, so Mike, uh, talk about uh, talk about uh, your sector. Now you're you're in the accounting area, and again, you're also in a very niche area. Uh, you know, I think if you're not an accountant, maybe you don't quite understand you know where you fit. Talk talk about that, and how did you end up in that very specific uh, sector? Uh, so niche is actually interesting. I remember we pitched Amplify, so we came out of Amplify's program. And at the end of the pitch, Paul, Paul Brico over there goes, riches and niches, baby. And that was the last, last line for investing in us. Um, but so we built closed management software. And what's really cool about our company is it's by accountants for accountants. That's my background, as was mentioned earlier. And we try to help our clients close the books faster and more accurately. And so ultimately, you get financial statements faster. Uh, executives get the information they need. They can make decisions. And investors get what they want. The pain point presented itself to me because I was working in that space. So I started my career at Ernst & Young here in Los Angeles. I was an auditor for about four years, auditing entertainment companies. Uh, got my CPA, decided to jump ship and join Cornerstone On Demand. And actually, Perry, who was a moderator earlier talking about hiring, made a big mistake and hired me as number five in his accounting department. So we were about a year out of the IPO when I joined. We grew really quickly. We went public. I was there for three years. We went from five to 50 just in accounting. And we had all these challenges around collaborating, closing the books, and getting our financials to the different related parties on time. And so with that, that was my inspiration for jumping ship and, and founding Flowcast. And I mean, the close is a, it's a niche problem within a niche uh, department already. And so I don't think I ever would have recognized the problem if I wasn't living it literally day in and day out. Now, so, so everyone, a lot of founders go, hey, I would like to own, you know, a really, really big market, and they don't think about niches. It, you guys have obviously all gone and found something very specific and very narrow to excel at. Um, did you guys ever think, hey, we want to conquer the world? Um, what was it that uh, your thoughts were saying, hey, we actually do want to go for a niche? Uh, Kevin? Yeah, I think as a, as a young entrepreneur, it's easy to look at TechCrunch and, and, you know, kind of be enthralled with these startups that have, you know, raised a whole lot of money and these startups that have this massive TAM. And so, you know, I mentioned that originally we created an app specifically for sports and entertainment. And then when we started to fundraise, we went, well, we're, you know, we're payments for hotels, we're payments for cruise ships and for all these different industries. And, you know, that first year or two in business, we really, um, you know, I would say floundered in a lot of ways because of that lack of focus. And so I would say it's easy to, to sort of see these companies with this huge addressable market and get distracted by addressing these different industries versus, again, for us, it was when we focused specifically on, a, on an industry we all of a sudden knew exactly who our customer was that we were selling to and knew exactly what we needed to, to deliver to them. And, you know, turns out that the niche we were addressing and probably the niche, you know, these guys are addressing as well is big enough to, to build a business off of. Now, now, John, you're, you're in, as you mentioned, there's lots of verticals. Did you ever say, hey, we're going to do all of them? And how did you say, hey, we are going to be a niche player first? No, it's a good question. Um, I mean, in my, in my experience, uh, the successful startups that I've seen start by solving a very specific problem and doing it well. And you go out and you find a customer who has a problem and said, if this product exists, I would buy it, and then you build it for them. Uh, in the case of Green Dot, it was, you know, teenage kids who didn't have credit cards who wanted to buy stuff online in the early days of the internet. Or in the case of Klarna, it was an invoicing solution for e-commerce companies. Or, uh, or eBay was uh, people trading Pez dispensers. Um, so uh, a lot of big companies started as niche companies too. 
but in my case, the most important thing was just to make sure that we had a customer and after talking to many veterinarians, and we looked at a lot of other niches too. We looked at human health care and, and other, other verticals, but we, after talking to a number of veterinarians, we found that this is the place where the need is the greatest and the most acute, and this is where we're going to start. And we might stay here forever or we might not, but we're going to start here and focus on it. Now, Mike, you, you already mentioned that you're in a niche in a niche. Uh, did you ever think, hey, you know, this is too small of a market, we're not going to find enough customers, or, or how has that worked out for you? Um, not, not particularly because our, our application is horizontal, so pretty much every industry experiences this problem. So what, um, actually I think you can consider niche in two forms. So there's niche product and then a niche market as well. So I think our product is niche, we, fall, we solve a problem within accounting, but the market is very horizontal. And so actually, um, to, your, to your point, every business starts, every great business I think starts within a niche, they're really focused on it and then they expand from there. So for us it was about finding the market niche for us. And so bringing down that TAM and actually focusing on where do we sell well, where do we support clients really well, who's renewing every year. Being able to narrow that down for us was what was most impactful, and that's an ongoing exercise for us. I mean, just yesterday we literally had a company presentation about focus and focusing on our market and really targeting customers who, in our case, are using NetSuite and Intact. Those are our two best target markets, so how do we double, triple down on that and really get after those types of customers? Um, so yeah, we today we're a niche. I, I think that will expand over time as we start to conquer different, different, different markets. Great, now so, so you guys all have started companies, you know, small and scrappy. Uh, how much was competition in the market an, a factor? I mean, did you say, hey, there's competition, or, or how did it all factor and say, we are gonna focus on this, and how did, how did you decide, hey, is there a big player or not a player in the market? Talk about your decision making on, on how much competition goes into to where to start your, your FinTech startup. Uh, Kevin, you wanna start? Sure. You know, for us, we looked at what systems were in place in arenas and stadiums, and they were all Windows-based, on-premise, hardware-first systems. And although there's a lot of noise in the sort of sign-up-and-go iPad point-of-sale solution space, we actually found that, you know, our industry and now groups of industries that we're addressing were really dominated by, you know, competitors that we could just by nature of being on an iPad uh, be conceived as innovative. And so, you know, bringing tablet, cloud, and mobile technology, you know, to sports and entertainment um, at that time against those competitors was something that was actually really exciting to us and continues to be, you know, both of them as a, as, you know, valued today at, you know, nine and a half billion in market cap and, and still, you know, replacing a lot of those systems today. So it did play a lot into our decision making, but I would also say, you know, it was, uh, it was difficult to think about going up against those guys without really much of a brand name or really, you know, much in the way of capital, you know, back in the day. The, the three of us co-founders were actually in our uh, apartment on Pico and Bundy when we sold Live Nation, uh, you know, an entire amphitheater distribution deal uh, across all 45 of their amphitheaters, and the three of us were literally in our apartment with one employee. So. It was difficult during that time, uh, but we found a way to make it happen without, you know, sort of the brand name and the capital behind us. Now, uh, was it was it actually uh, beneficial that you had a lot of old and stodgy kind of players in in your segment? For us, it was because people were just dying for any replacement for it. Um, they saw Square as something that was sort of too simplistic for them, but you know, in this case, Live Nation had been using their NCR you know systems for 14 years. 
and so for us, it was actually very beneficial that it was the, sort of this old, stodgy, you know, competitor set that we were going against. Now, John, how much competition was in your segment when you, you entered the, the market? And how much was that a factor if you're deciding, as, as you said, you looked at a lot of different areas, how much was the competition in that sector part of your decision-making process? The, considering the competition was, was a really important part of the process for us, it, it can be a little bit um, of a double-edged sword. I mean, in a way, it's nice to have some competition because it provides a market validation. And when you go out to convince investors or convince yourselves that there's a market here, you can actually point at someone who's doing it and has been doing it for a while um, and has made a living off of it. Um, in our case, it was also fairly stodgy competition. It's a product that really hadn't changed for 20 years. So in our case, the competition is a, a private label credit card. So when you, you know, when you go to Macy's and they offer you 10% off if you open a credit card, basically it was that same product within the veterinary hospital. And we just thought that the, the state of the lending industry had moved so far ahead that we could come up with a product that was enough better. You can't just be a little bit better than the competition that's out there. To really get people's attention, you've got to be you know, 2x better and less expensive. And that was kind of the bar we set for ourselves. Our product needs to be so much better that for any veterinarian in the country, this is going to be almost a no-brainer to at least give our product a try. And, and we thought we could do that in part because, because it, the, the competition was, was a little stodgy. Now, Mike, uh, you know, talk, talk a little about your segment. You know, I, I would think, and uh, you know, most of us are not in the finance area, you go, oh, you know, there's Oracle, NetSuite, and, and all these other guys. Why would I even go close to accounting software? Talk, talk about that and how that works for you guys. Yeah, so we're not competing with them. We work alongside them. I, I totally agree. I don't want to compete with Oracle or NetSuite or, or any of them. We, they, they have that market pretty down pat. So we, we work alongside them. My competition story is actually uh, a little, little unique, I think. So I left Cornerstone, started working on Flowcast. I didn't know of any competitors in the space. And so I'm, I'm starting to work on some investment material and I'm Googling around. I'm trying to find anyone who does what we do. I'm an accountant. I'm using my, brain, my accounting brain to try to find it. I can't find anything. And then my wife comes home one night from her dodgeball game and she goes, there's this company in Woodland Hills called Blackline. I'm playing dodgeball with them. Do is this what you're doing? And I go look them up. I'm like, yep, exactly. So that was, uh, Therese Tucker had the keynote earlier today. Uh, that is our main competitor. They're actually up in Woodland Hills. And when I found out about them, for me, it just validated the market and the pain point and showing that it was, it was a really big need out there. And then fortunately, from our perspective, it wasn't a conscious decision to, to go after a different market. But my background is in mid-market accounting, both as an auditor and as an accountant. So the product we built was inherently built for the mid-market, whereas they're very much at the enterprise space. You know, she spoke to eBay and Coca-Cola. Big names out there, that's not what we focus on. We focus on more of the mid-market. So we've each carved out our market niche within there. Products solving a, the same problem, but just via a very different approach. Yeah, very good. Uh, quick question for the audience. How many people are entrepreneurs? Entrepreneurs? Okay, good. So this question, this, this uh, is for those guys down in the audience who are thinking about, you know, finding a niche and finding a way. What recommendations would you give to them on how to best identify where to look, where to go? Uh, let's actually start with John, because I know you went through this process. Talk about what was the kind of the thought pattern of how, where do I go? This, I mean, I think this is a, this is a tough process. It can be an emotionally tough process too because you want to, you want to believe you've found the perfect idea and you want to commit to it. And when you go see your parents and your in-laws, you want to tell them what you're doing and that you've figured out what your company's going to do. 
at the same time, you really have to do your due diligence and test it and kick the tires and go, is this really the right, the right space for us? Is this really the right idea? Because giving it up means you're kind of going back to the drawing board and you have to come up with a new one. Um, you know, in our case, we really spend a lot of time looking at, at human healthcare, which I still think is a great big opportunity for a solution like ours, but for a number of reasons, we decided it wasn't, it wasn't the right one. Um, uh, so it's, it's important that you really uh, do the homework and talk to real customers as much as possible and sit down with them, book the lunches, coffees, breakfasts with whoever the customer is going to be uh, until you feel like you really understand their need and you can build a product for it. Now, did you, uh, the other guys, did you do it? Mike, did you go sit down with customers and talk to them? What, what did you do to figure out if you were in the right niche? Yeah, definitely spoke, spoke with customers. I mean, people from my network as well. Um, and I knew from my days as an auditor, I had, had about eight or 10 different clients, and this was a consistent problem that they all had. And then, I mean, when it stuck out to me was when I got inside of an accounting department and actually started living the problem every day. That's when I realized kind of why it was there and why it was such a big pain. So I... I don't know about finding a problem. I think living through it and recognizing it's a problem is really the best way to do it. I mean, that's how I did it. And then what the benefit there is, is first of all, I know foundationally what the solution should look like. And then it's about getting market feedback to build out kind of the ancillary concepts there. Uh, but number two is because I live this problem, I have a huge passion for solving it. And it's something that's really personal to me and it sucks. The process sucks every month and we make it better for all of our clients. And that's really gratifying for me. I get to go out and you know, get feedback from clients and they hear, you just hear how much they love Flowcast and then what can we do to make your experience better because that would have made my experience better when I was doing this without Flowcast. So I think the, the passion that comes with actually living the problem is really, really powerful as well. Yeah, so, so Kevin, you, you talked about how Okay, great. We're popping the questions. Uh, question over there. Uh, you guys find funding and an accountant that you probably didn't have much of a technology background, so how did you get into it? So the question was, how did you find funding? Um, yeah, being an accountant in Los Angeles trying to start a SaaS company was not a fun uh, exercise in 2013. So I, I got really lucky. I happened to know uh, the co-founder of one of the partners at Amplify who really liked me. Uh, I had a PowerPoint. I went down and pitched them. They liked my background and everything. And they said, this is cool, but you have to find some co-founders and build a product. And so I went out. I did that. And I just built a bit of a relationship and proved to them over time that I'm going to tell you I'm going to do something. I'm going to go do it. And I'm going to come back and talk to you about it. And with that, that was how I kind of built up some credibility. And then the best thing that ever happened to us was when Blackline went public. All of a sudden, we were completely validated and the, the, the script just flipped 100%. It went from me hearing no's from hundreds of people, including several people who have been on panels today, to getting reached out proactively from several funds to the point where I had to get my own CRM to start managing all these funds who were reaching out to us. So like the market validation concept, so, so, so powerful. And it was hard at first, but then once you have a great business, people want to fund you. That's the So John, line. John, how did you get it? I mean, I think for us, the important thing was self-funding until we got to revenue. So literally my co-founder and I funding it out of our own savings. Once we have real customers, real revenue, then it, it, it got a lot easier at that point. And then we went to friends and family, and then we went to institutional money after that. Kevin? Yeah, I'd say, you know, don't be afraid early on to, you know, give a little piece of equity to some very important people in your industry who can unlock doors, who can not only unlock doors commercially, but then also unlock doors towards investors. And that's an approach that we took very early on. We brought on you know, four kind of powerhouse guys in the sports and entertainment industry 
showed traction, and actually those guys eventually, you know, introduced us to Shamrock Capital, who's now given us, you know, over $30 million over the last two years. Um, similarly, I think our, you know, Rolodex of people that we ended up meeting with between San Francisco and New York and the Valley, you know, early on was something like 85 different funds and individuals. So it's, it's sort of a quantity thing to try to find the right guys that are going to find your idea specifically interesting. Okay, another question. Question. Any other questions over here? Oh, question over here. Last one. Can you talk a little bit about some unique challenges of tackling your niches? Like, for example, uh, John, I imagine vets are small businesses, very geographically dispersed, very busy owner operators. Like, what sort of uh, lessons have you learned, I guess, so, in tackling your specific niche? So, yeah, just dist uh, distill down what's the biggest challenge in your niche? You're exactly right. The veterinary industry is highly fragmented. 90% are family businesses, and we knew early on that was probably going to be the biggest challenge for us was getting to that many decision makers and onboarding that many individual businesses. So we just tried to streamline and automate it you know, as much as possible so that our sales and onboarding process is almost completely automated now and requires very little human intervention. Uh, you could think of how... Um, Square acquires new merchants, right? You sign yourself up, you plug in the device yourself, and you're up and running. That's essentially what we tried to replicate in order to, to deal with the fragmentation. Great. Mike? I would say for us, it's from a product perspective. So within accounting, our, with our solution, we want to give people some a framework and a standard way to be operating. But then there are nuances across every department. So it's this it's trade-off of, uh, of rigid structure with flexibility that they need to operate their own accounting department. So for us, it's really from a product perspective, I would say, where some of those challenges came into play. Great. Kevin? For us, it was an old-school way of thinking for the operators or clients that we were trying to, to get to. So they had been doing it a certain way for 10, 15, and 20 years, and you know the cloud, tablet, and mobile technology to them was a scary thing. And so for us, it was just very simply breaking down why this technology would be better for them and actually making it personal. So saying, hey, director of IT or CIO, you're no longer going to have to go to this closet to connect all these wires. You can just you know, connect the device to the cloud or to, to, you know, to Wi-Fi, and you no longer have to deal with that. So just simply sort of breaking down why their personal lives at work were going to be easier through our technology was something that we did to address that. Great. Well, thank you very much. And back to Peter. Thank you very much. Very good.